This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. You may have heard me talk on this show before about the valley of the shadow of debt. That's right. Most young people, they get to the edge of a precipice. They see across the other side opportunity. They see they're hearing all the time about the amazing things being done, businesses being started, apps being built, software, hardware, you name it. There's opportunity everywhere and businesses are hungry. They see it, but they're looking over a canyon. They're looking across college chasm. They look down to the bottom of that chasm and there's all these colleges and universities and they're supposed to go way down there into the muck, into the valley of the shadow of debt and get stuck for five plus years on average and walk away with an average of $37,000 in debt. Oh, and not only that, but 62% of graduates are either unemployed or working in jobs that didn't require a degree anyway. So after five years and $37,000 of debt that you can never get rid of, you're working in a job that you could have gotten without it, something's not right. Skip the valley of the shadow of debt. Praxis builds a bridge directly to those opportunities right now today. And if you're already in that valley, don't worry. We can help you too. We can throw you a lifeline. We can pull you up right now. If you already graduated college, don't think about grad school until you've gotten into the real world. If you're a couple years in and you're bored don't fall prey to the sunk cost fallacy and think that because you've wasted some time and money, you've got to waste more. Get out now, get into an amazing career at an amazing startup, learn more about yourself in the world than you ever could down in that valley. Praxis is the bridge to get you from where you are to a life that you love. Our mission, our why, the reason we exist is to help young people discover and do what makes them come alive. And we can do it better, faster, cheaper than anything else. Discoverpraxis.com. Check it out today. Today, I have Derek Carter on the show. Derek is the COO of Cedrus. Uh, if Cedrus sounds familiar, we have had the CEO, my brother, Levi Morehouse, on the show a couple of times, and Cedrus is doing amazing things in the um, accounting, bookkeeping, automation arena for small businesses. And Derek, uh, today's show is kind of a it's kind of a cool one because it's really sort of the heart of what this this uh, podcast is all about. Derek is someone who was kind of on a, I don't want to say like traditional path, but a somewhat traditional path of going towards becoming an accountant. And people who gravitate that way have a certain very pragmatic uh, outlook. And going from that to joining a startup is a pretty big change. And I want, we're going to sort of dive into that. So uh, with all that set up, I probably could have just started right in, Derek. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, it's a funny world we live in where everyone knows, you know, people you don't even know, know your birthday from uh, Facebook. Sure. So. Um, right. Absolutely. So Derek, you, so you're the COO of Satirist right now, which is this hot, fast growing startup. You guys just raised a bunch of capital. You're hiring like crazy. But it wasn't always that way when you made the switch from a very reputable accounting firm where you were on sort of the fast track towards partner. Um, you know, you'd been there for over a decade and you made that switch. We're going to get into that, but let's start with some backstory, um, your origin story. Uh, <laughs> are, how would you describe yourself? Yeah, I know you were, when you were young, like pre-college, you were into sports, I believe. You played baseball. What, what was sort of your interest in, in your background? Yeah, my my growing up sports were were my life. Certainly, far more. I was a good student. Um, my my parents made sure that that happened. However, sports was certainly my passion. I'm just a super super competitive person um, in, in my core, um, and that that basically led me the sports path. And, and I think a lot of what who I am and what I've learned over time have come or, or originated from you know, 
participating, competing, th- those sorts of things all along. So I started out that way. Um, again, like I said, I was a good student, National Honor Society, all of those things, but I was never the 4.0, you know, perfection type, type student, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of my, the, the short version of kind of my, that competitiveness started very, very early on with me. How, how good were you at baseball and did you play other sports as well? Yeah, baseball was was my best sport. Um, I was I was all state um, my senior year. We had a really 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 good um, run with with a group of guys um, from a very very small town. So I won't I won't compare ourselves for real to to a thing like a Hoosiers or a Friday Night Lights. But watching <laughs> those sorts of, those sorts of shows, um, I can tell you that's alive and well in in small towns across the country. That's for sure. So you were this, you were a superhero in your small town. We, we were, yeah, we were thought about, thought very highly of and had, you know, had the local following, you know, of, of the older gentlemen in the community would follow us every away game, that whole thing. That was all very real. What position were you? I played mostly second base. That's where I earned all state honors was second base. I played second base too, but I stopped when I was about 12 or 13. So I, I can, I can say that I would have been, you know, certainly I would have been all state. That's, that's what's great about. Absolutely. (laughs) So (laughs) did you have, did you have plans to, to play, try to play ball professionally? Did you, did you go to college for baseball? How did that work? No, I did not. I had opportunities to play, um, in college at like the division two level um even at the school i ended up with at northwood university there there were opportunities there um i was very realistic in you know at the end of the day i'm a a five foot i like to say six foot five foot eleven um white kid that's that's not built like like a superhero as you just mentioned um (laughs) so i i knew i wasn't you know there was no um future for me in baseball long term so I made a decision um, and honestly it wasn't that hard of a decision to make to to really focus on kind of the rest of my life like what was it going to look like how was I going to provide what was going to pay the bills at the end of the day Um, that was that was my focus and and um, I'm sure we'll get into why I went to Northwood in a second but that's basically um, I I would have loved to but but the the real realist in me just led me to say no more, no more baseball. You, you accounting types, you're so in touch with reality. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, to, to a fault at, at times, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so you kind of knew this was an era of your life where sports and baseball specifically sort of consumed what you were focused on, but that that was not going to last into the future. So in terms of your next steps, you went to Northwood, which for those who don't know, is a, uh, a small private school in the middle of nowhere in Midland, Michigan, <laughs> but it has a pretty interesting tradition, both in terms of philosophically, um, a very profound appreciation for the ideas of, of liberty and freedom. Um, and I think they have like a core uh, course where you sort of learn that the Northwood ideas, which has, you know, Friedman and Hayek. And Absolutely. And then also like a pretty a kind of a more pragmatic hands-on approach to learning business from what I understand than, than a typical maybe business school. What drew you to Northwood? Yeah. So Northwood was the only school and I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted. You know, I knew I was going to do accounting because I I took one, the only accounting class my tiny school offered and did really well. It came super easy for me. Um, So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this accounting thing. And I know I want business because business meant like running something and money and all of those sorts of things. <laughs> I, we, we basically just got some flyers, you know, like I think probably a lot of schools get from or high schools get from from colleges in the area or whatever. I knew I didn't want to stay totally close to home, but I want to be far enough away or close enough to come home, but far enough away where I was still kind of on my own. Northwood was about four hours from my house. Um, looking through the materials and, and then investigating further on campus and things like that, it became very apparent that their approach was significantly different than the, the traditional liberal arts schools, which surround us, right. Or surround us in, in Michigan, at least 
there was no required reading of like some random book like it didn't matter in any way the reading that we did the, the example i love to use is environmental science like it our environmental science class wasn't about science in the traditional way it was about how it related to business the fine penalties things like that that can happen if you don't do things the right way um i was also and this will sound crazy i was super attracted to the fact that my first accounting class I had to take is going to be five. It was five days a week at eight a.m. So Monday through Friday, <laughs> you as a freshman in college. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I knew immediately th- those two types of things, um, and, and not having the required, and I'm just I'm probably too blunt sometimes. Required nonsense that that colleges force you into, just like as a prerequisite type of thing. Like Northwood did not have those in any, even like language and things like that. English classes is all about resume writing and, and business, right? How to write a memo, like back when you wrote memos and things like that. Um, I, I'm not sure if there's a ton of email etiquette back then or not, but like all of those things, like everything was based around business and really, really important to me was around management. Yeah. I didn't want to be, I didn't. I truly, I knew at that time, I didn't know what that would look like in my future. I knew I wasn't going to be a guy as I wanted to run the show as a part of, as opposed to being like kind of one of the people pushing in the direction. I, I just have this, I want to pass or fail on me and not anybody else has always been my mentality. Mm-hmm. So I really, really enjoyed that kind of push that Northwood had on us to no, you're the you're the one in charge of a team. You're not you're not one of the key players. You're in charge of it. You're going to make everybody better. I love that part of it. What What do you think? So this is something I think about a lot, um, and I've gotten pretty good at dissecting what is the anatomy of someone who wants to become, say, a lawyer. Uh, run into enough young people who say I want to go to law school to kind of figure out what are the common traits that make them think that's the path for them or pursue that. And there's sort of these different areas. Accounting is an interesting one. What what would you say? Because because not only are you you know you you chose that path yourself to major in accounting and go after the the CPA thing, but you also interact both at Plant Moran and Ceteris now with a lot of people who've chosen that same thing. What would you say? What are like the common characteristics that someone has that makes them go that way? Mindsets, personality traits that you found. Uh, so yeah, I think there's there's two two sets of people that go down this path um and i think they don't know totally who they are necessarily until they're either three or four years into college or actually at, at a public accounting firm or a private company somewhere doing accounting ultimately though i think accountants they, they love safety um they're super conservative by nature in, in most cases or all cases um but they they enjoy the safety like accounting like accounting is not going away um you know we can talk about automation that setters is doing and things like that but at the end of the day accountants aren't going to go away um so there's a lot of job security in that every company everybody knows every company has to have their books done um they have to have their taxes done and all those sorts of things so i think it's that it's that comfort level that that what we do is kind of very well documented we're not recreating the wheel necessarily um, and at the same time, like our job, a job security is there and it's probably not going to go anywhere. Um, if, if you're with the right sort of company where I think the, where there's like a fork in a road is if you go down the public accounting path, then you tend to have traits of, uh, either you have that trait or you're going to develop the trait of you're, you have to figure out how to sell. You're, you're going to run into a roadblock about seven years into your career where you're probably going to have to make a decision to find another job, essentially. Um, in the private world, you figured out like you don't want to be a sales guy, that you want that you want to be you want to move up and eventually be the CFO 15 years from now. And that's your path. You don't you don't want a ton of variety. You just want to kind of grind it out and get to that top level job and know that that's your top. Like that's where it's going to kind of cap out for you. So um it's a very interesting um, industry field, what have you, because I think you can get a wide variety of people, but I think the core of it is always the security piece. Like accounting is debits and credits at the end of the day, and there's some comfort to to debits and credits for, for 
us weirdos. I Everything think. Everything balances out at the end. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Why the? Or if not, I'm gonna figure it out. That's right. Why the? Uh, why the seven years? After seven years, you have to start selling. What What do you mean by that? What What do you have to start selling? And and how does that unfold if you go the the public route? Yeah. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of partners, you know, within the firm that you're in, um, they want to continue being paid, um, <laughs> upon their retirement and things like that. And, and you need a constant, constant growth in the, in the overall business or what, um, firms call their book, the book of business that you have, that you're managing. Um, you have to build something of your own to prove your worth to, to those partners, because ultimately, like you have to pay your, your, your own, your own salary, so to speak, but you also have to take care of those, those individuals upon retirement and things of that nature. So it's a, um, it's a pretty big nut to crack in a big firm, like, like a plan Moran or a big regional firm, certainly even bigger than that in a big four firm. Um, that, so that's like, as they care about technical skills, you know, for that first five to seven years, you know, give or take. And after that, you kind of had that master. There's not a whole, like I said, it goes back to that, like debits and credits are, they are what they are. So things change or whatever, but um, ultimately like you pretty much have the technical side figured out by seven, seven to 10 years or something. Then it turns into a sales game where you, can you, can you go to a conference and um, land a couple customers? Can you, can you go sell that ad on service and things like that? And the hard part for a lot of accountants is that that's not their comfort zone. That's where it kind of like totally breaks off. Like a lot of accountants and there's no, no negative. I'm not being critical in any way. in this, this next comment, they just, they want their desk. They want to be left alone and do their job. They just want to do their, they want to balance the book. They want to that debit and that credit to balance and life is good. They don't want to have to go to cocktail hour and mingle with a bunch of people they don't know. Again, in general, I'm obviously stereotyping and that's um, okay. We're, we're big fans of, of, uh, stereotyping and giant sweeping statements on this podcast. (laughs) There there you go. But I I think it will hold true though. And and I, I'm certainly can be guilty of all of those stereotypes, you know, at any given point. So, so you graduated with an accounting degree and you went the, the, you know, big firm route, you went and worked at, at plant and Moran. Um, when you stepped into that job, was it, did you enjoy it right away? Was it what you expected or was there immediately some uneasiness? Like, I don't know if I want to do this forever. Yeah, I was completely clueless. If I'm being honest, like I I would like to say I had a well thought out plan or something, but I, I certainly didn't. I was one of the few that also didn't, did not intern. Um, at a public accounting firm in my junior, junior, senior years. Um, I had a really good thing going um, in the summers that from a financial perspective, it was a no brainer to keep going down that path. So I did. Um, So I walked in, um, in July, um, which is pretty slow. Like this is, this isn't too bad. Like uh, not, not a big deal. Um, Then we get into busy season. um, So that, that, like mid January through the end of March, April type of thing. And that's when like reality set in a little bit for me um, in in terms of like, this is a grind. Like this is going to be a lot of hours, a lot of learning, a lot of clients, a lot of just a lot, just, you know, you're talking about many, many hours. Um, And that was a shock to the system a little bit because you don't learn about, and I just read an article actually, um, is posted on LinkedIn about what what universities are teaching related to auditing and accounting and things like that just aren't reality and they're not close to reality. I took an auditing class and I was an auditor at Plant and they didn't go together. Like what I learned in my auditing class had nothing to do with what the real world of auditing meant. Um, so it was a major shock to the system. I had a couple not so pleasant experiences where um, the, the one, the one that comes to mind is a, a 23 hour day that was just like non-negotiable. Um, that was a very big shock to the system, mostly because it, it was from the, the highest 
the, from the partner level individuals, it was an expectation, not a, wow, you want the extra mile type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's as, as a, like a one and a half year staff person pulling that kind of, that kind of load. And that, that just seemed like a bit much without, without a ton of like, we realize you went the extra mile. Um, that, that day ended at 7 a.m. And I think I was at another client at 10, 10, 11 a.m. the next day. So that was, that was a lot of, that, that was a big shock to the system as well um, early on in my auditing career, I guess. Did, did you feel trapped in that role? Or did you feel like, okay, if I weather it, uh, it'll be fine. Or, okay, if I really want to, I can go I, do something else. Yeah, so so this is where my competitiveness is, is definitely a fault. So in my mind, like nobody was going to break me for sure. And this is just a competition, right? Like this is who can work the hardest is going to make partner. And there's a big carrot out there that if you're in the accounting world, you know what the a what that carrot looks like. It's actually promoted. Like, you know what the numbers are that you're chasing to you make partner. And this is year one compensation. And the average is this. And so it's a big carrot and it's absolutely promoted. It's not. What some are those numbers? Guessing. When I was leaving um, public accounting, um, and again, I, I can only speak for that regional size firm, your first year was in the 150 ish range and the average was 580. Okay. And I, it was, so I looked at that 580, and maybe, again, this will probably speak to some ego or something too, but I looked at that. 580 is being average. I'm like, I don't want to be average in anything ever. So I'm looking at 580 saying that's my low. Like, like I, once I'm, you know, tenured enough or been around long enough, I'm going to cross 580 easily because I, I'm not going to be in the bottom half. So that, so there was, I didn't feel trapped, I guess, to answer your question. I felt like if I just go hard for a period of time, I'm going to make partner and that payday is going to be worth it to me at the end. That's, that's, and that's probably a horrible way to look at a career or something like that, but that's truly how I envisioned um, the next 10 years playing out. So you were there for 11 years and before you made right. the jump and, and you had been successful there. Um, we're continuing to, to sort of move up, move on that track what was the process? I know it was a long time because I remember Levi telling me about you from many, many years back when he worked with you at Plant Moran and then he left and when he, he did a few other things and then he started Ceteris and he was kind of trying to recruit you over a long period of time. What? How did he wear you down eventually and what was the <laughs> mindset shift required to get off of that track towards that big fat carrot? Yeah, it, it took him four years. To, to fully like to get me to say yes, I was really close about three years in, and I felt horrible. But I, I, I still remember exactly when I told him that, that I wasn't going to do it. I was driving to middle of nowhere, Ohio, for a, for a client. Um, and so it, again, like we go back to the you know the initial stereotypes, conservative, etc. Um, so Levi's pitching me on Ceteris early on and. I did not have his vision um, of what this could be at that time. Um, he, it, it, like I like to tell people, I think it's really important. Like he's an, by definition a visionary. There's no question about that. Um, and I think I, by definition, I, I'm the implementer. Um, and we work really, really well together um, coming from those two completely different, like mental, like we are completely different mentally, but we come together really well. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, as time goes on, I see actually got worse early on. Cause I could tell he was like never sleeping. He looked really, really rough when we did go have a lunch or breakfast or whatever. Um, and then really a couple things were happening like around that third year, which was basically around the, my last year at plant, I was having really amazing reviews. I couldn't be doing better essentially from from plant's perspective, based on the documentation that they had, like the formal reviews that we were having, I couldn't do better. So I, I'm pretty aggressive in general. So I'm pushing them like, when, when, when am I going to be partnered? Just tell me what to do. Give me, give me a line and I'll cross it. And we'll be, you know, like I will do whatever. Just like I was ready to sell my soul basically. Um, 
and they couldn't do it. They couldn't, they couldn't give me that, that like, just do this and you'll be partner or just do this for even two years and you'll be partner. I couldn't get that. So just keep doing what you do, meet with these people, you know, like sell, sell yourself to these internal people and all this other stuff. At the same time, like, Satirist was growing and becoming a, a viable business. And Levi was getting closer and closer to ultimately being able to compensate me in, in a way that made, made things make sense to me, where I could still provide for my family and feel comfortable with it while taking this risk. Because to me, I know to Levi I wasn't, but to me, it was still a significant risk to take that, take that leap. Um, so as we kept going, um, I couldn't get the answers I wanted out of plant, and I became, I'm not a very patient. That's probably one of the things I am different than most accountants. I, I'm not patient at all, um, and, and I'm super aggressive. So those two traits wouldn't fit that, that stereotype probably. So I kept pushing. They kept uh, spinning, I'll say, in a political way. Um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and at the same time, Satyrus was kind of like, like Levi was figuring it out a little bit. Like it was viable. He was growing. He couldn't keep up with his growth. He had hired a couple really good people um, to help him out. So I could see like this was becoming real. And so it just kind of was like one of those things that happened that like the timing lined up perfectly. And I was able like more than wearing me down. He actually just showed me this was a real business. Hmm. Um, and at that time I was ready to, I was ready for some freedom. I was ready to, like I said at the beginning, let me jump into this. And I knew Levi would give me all the leash in the world to hang myself. And I love that. Like I let me either make this real or let me fail one or the other. And, and I just kind of took that leap. That was my mindset when I took the leap. I will, I'll be responsible for this one way or the other, you know, good or bad. So you go from this very large company you know, very reputable, but, but large processes and systems in place, uh, tons of employees to a startup with, I don't know what you guys had at the time, half a dozen employees, maybe. Right. Right. What was the first couple months when you made that transition? Did you start to think maybe you'd made a mistake or what were the biggest, uh, <laughs> shocks that you had to absorb? I, so I, I will say this and I mean this, I, I never felt like I made a mistake or that, that Ceteris was, wasn't the right fit. What I thought immediately was, I don't know anything about business. That was my, my first three, four months even. Like, I, that's, I kept re rehashing them ahead. Like, I don't know anything. Like, I'm this big, bad accountant guy from this big firm, and I don't know how to process payroll. I don't know how to process a bill. Like, I know conceptually, like, what are the right internal controls to have in place around certain things, but actually to go and, and do the task, I, I didn't know how to, I, I had to ask, you know, people without degrees, without any college education of any kind, how to do these tasks. It was a super humbling experience for me, which was absolutely necessary to, to start going down the path of, of ultimately where we've led up, which is document, everything at the at the you know if i showed you guys you some of my procedures and things like that they were they are line by line like step by step like i've literally written them back then i i kept telling everybody i'm writing these for my eight-year-old son to do like i really want that because i came in and that's what i felt like i felt like i had no idea what i was doing and i never wanted to feel that again or have anybody else in that spot so uh, I will just say I never felt like it was a mistake, but I was humbled immediately, and and that's not a super easy thing for for, for me to feel. That's for sure. When when you were at Plant, were you managing people uh, by the time you left there? I was. I had a very large team. That, that's probably one of the the best takeaways from Plant. I, I enjoyed my time at Plant overall. It was probably the best public accounting firm um, fit wise for me. But I was. I did not have a team partner in my office, um, in my industry at, at all. And that's a very rare thing um, for a firm of that size or a firm in general. And I was able to build a very big dynamic team in my industry that I was working in without a partner there, which was seen by everyone as a very, very strong skill set that I had, that I was able to get people to follow 
follow me into this industry where it wasn't being promoted within the office because nobody in the office at the partner level was doing anything with it. So from a scheduling, like getting my people on these jobs was a very difficult thing. So I was negotiating with partners on scheduling and things of that nature. Um, so my team, I don't know when I left, it was probably, I don't know, somewhere between six and 10, depending. Um, I was managing very, very large engagements, you know, uh, some hospitals with billion dollar revenues, things like that. So very, very large engagements. So on those sorts of engagements, I was managing upwards of 10, 15 people at a time. But true people on my team following me was, you know, like I said, between six and 10 probably in, in our local office. And you, when you moved over to Ceteris, I know you mentioned early on that management was something you had always been interested in. You know, you move on to this team where you kind of had to do a lot of the stuff that ideally you would be managing other people to do those things, but you had to do it yourself at first. Do you think that helped you as Ceteris grew and now you are in a uh, much more managerial role where you have a whole team? Did it help you that you actually had to go through and do a lot of the processes yourself that now you are managing other people on? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty confident we wouldn't be where we are today if that wasn't the case. I don't think you can... I don't think you can teach and have an entire team moving in the same direction if the leader hasn't been in the trenches first. Um, and we're doing it again. Like this hasn't ended, although I'm managing more, like obviously we're, I don't even know where we are today. We hire somebody every single day. We're in the forties now. Like we're, we're doing it today. I will be in a new concept today, figuring it out from the ground level up. Um, and I just don't think there's another way to do it, whether you're growing or have a small team, unless the leader has done it first, that knows the answers, that has gotten their hands dirty. Um, uh, my whole thing from the first day at plant, I've always wanted people to go through a wall for me. Uh, my first team partner at plant, he had that too. Like he, there's very few people that impressed me um, really fast. He impressed me immediately. And I would, I would literally go through a wall for that guy because I knew he had my back, which meant he had done the work. Or he would stay, if we were staying until 8 o'clock that night, he would be with us. I wanted that for, for my team. So, so again, I think it's, it's helped in terms of I understand it so I can write it, proceduralize it, automate it, all of those things. But I've also, I hope, have shown the staff that, that I will have their backs and go down that path with them and be there as late as we need to to get something done. Um, but also transfer that knowledge and ideally have them build, build the next set of the next team or whatever, like promoting from within is, is a really amazing experience. And and we've, we've had a couple of those recently. And, um, I, I just enjoy that. I I enjoy those. uh, You probably can hear it in my voice. I enjoy that piece of it very, very much. Um, but again, not doing the work, you know, like I hiring somebody over the top that doesn't know what they're doing from that granular level of detail is just something that I don't think works very well. I think it's a very hard thing to do. So when you were, you said you're hard to impress and you do a lot of hiring, et cetera, and you're doing a lot more right now. When you're hiring somebody, young, young accountant to come on your team, what does impress you? What do you look for? I look for energy. Um, I'm very honest, like <laughs> very honest into a fault. Um, we've been super fortunate at Satyrus to have very little turnover from a staff perspective, like almost none. I, I attribute that to our, and it's not documented anyway, we don't have any like real things we follow when we interview. I probably should, but that's one of the things that falls on the priority list. So I, I'm super honest with people. I'm, I'm going to tell you everything bad about this job, and then you tell me why you're the best for it. Um, and if they can do that and they have some energy behind it and they want to, they, and I don't want to hear all the buzzwords. Like I'm, you know, I'm smart that way too, where I'll go research your website and I'll know all the, 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 the buzzwords that I should tell you on an interview. I want more than that. I want, why, why are you not going to get bored by this job? Why, why do you think this is a cool job? Ask me the questions about, you know, uh, how do I get to the next level and have me tell you that I don't know what that looks like and still talk to me about it. still like engage me and, and have ideas and things of that nature. 
I tell everybody that I interview, and this is I, uh, honest to God, I am not looking for the best accountants in the world. I'm looking for those people that truly, truly want to serve their customers or empower entrepreneurs as, as our tagline goes. Uh, but I also want them to be part of the bigger team, the bigger picture, you know, teamwork and all of that is super important when we're growing, like we're growing. I want them to be excited about that too. Um, I do everything I can to make a job really predictable for everyone. But the reality is in a startup environment, um, sometimes hats have to be moved around a little bit. And I want somebody that has that flexibility um, and wants to be independent. Um, all the things, like now I'm, I'm the one throwing out all the buzzwords from our website, but it's true. Like we want those independent people. And the final thing I, I say to, to, to them, and it's very, very honest, because I know you'll fail with us if, if this is the case, is I don't want to babysit anybody. I want to hire good accountants, that have common sense, that are adults. That's all I really care about. Like those three things. If, if I found a way, I'd probably be a millionaire or something by now. If I could figure out how to get those three attribute, attributes like locked down and I could ID them very easily, it would be an amazing thing. But that's all I really care about. I don't care about your GPA. I don't care about your laundry list of experiences that you've had. I care about, can you technically do our job, which is very easy at the end of the day. And can you, can you do it and do it with kind of that, that, that energy level that we need or are going to demand um, at the end of the day, we expect a lot of, out of our people, but we also like have a lot of fun doing it. I love what, how you said you start off with, let me tell you why this job sucks. And then I want you to tell me why you'd be good at it. It, it reminds me of the, and it might be apocryphal. I've heard that maybe it wasn't true or not, but there's this famous uh, newspaper classified ad that, that Ernst Shackleton took out when he was going to go do his, his um, polar expedition. It says, uh, you know, wanted um, men for perilous journey, you know, death, a possibility, <laughs> um, but like a glory and riches if, if you succeed or something like that. And just sure. sort of leading yeah. with, leading with the thing that's going to scare away the people who wouldn't be a good fit or who, if you sold them on how great it was, but then the first month they hit a road bump, they're going to quit. That's how you filter out. Right. That's how you prevent turnover. I think that's a really powerful technique. It, it's, it's vital for us. It was vital for us back when we were smaller and just trying to figure out who we were. Um, but it's equally as important today, growing as fast as we are today having any hiccups in the hiring process or the staffing process is a major, major setback in, in like you, you mentioned early on, we, we, we do have some capital now. Um, we have very real expectations now outside of just what, what Levi and I, and I have for the company or ourselves. Um, so, so any hiccups now are a major, major issue. Um, and we even have a sales team now, so I don't want to slow those guys down. So, I, I definitely believe very, very much in that right seat concept. Um, and I work really, really hard to make sure that we don't make mistakes in that area to the, to the point that I, I literally interview everybody that we hire still to this day. Huh. So, so what, speaking of capital, so you guys, this was bootstrapped and, and you guys are building this thing and it's really taking off and getting growth organically. What was the decision to go out and raise capital was that something being, you know, having that implementer mindset, that slightly more risk averse approach that you bring uh, to the table and coming from the accounting background, was that something you were hesitant about um, going out and, and doing a round of VC? This increases the expectations. It's got, you know, you're going to grow faster than you've ever had to grow before. Was that uh, challenging, exciting? And, and just tell, walk me through sort of how that um, unfolded. Sure. Uh so we, we talked about it at a variety of, of times during our growth, you know, even, even going back before to, man, should we just go get a big loan, you know, and loans are easy to get and all that kind of thing. Um, but then, you know, we, we kind of got to a couple points, a couple plateaus where we, we, we were running really well, like things were going really, really well. And it was like, every time we hire somebody, we can just go further. Like this is all actually working. Like our belief in, in our model was becoming more and more real. I, I don't want to say like 
the first time we thought about going down this path, we really truly believed a hundred percent in it. We knew we were onto something. There's no doubt about that, but it, it, it took a second to fully believe in the model. If we get money, and that's what I love about Levi too, even though he's a visionary, he's, he's still financially conservative. I'll say like he, he doesn't want to waste money. Um, he doesn't want to just get a bunch of money and throw it at something and see what happens. He's, he's, He's got a very nice approach to it that I think is probably pretty rare for that visionary type person. Um, so, so ultimately we get to, okay, we believe it. I've already mentioned that I'm not a patient person. Um, I am not super interested in grinding something out forever. Like I'm, I'm happy to figure it out and spend a million hours doing that. But to do that year over year over year, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I, I know it doesn't for Levi either. So we got to this second or third plateau where it, it happened again. It was, we, we hired and we, we were able to organically grow. As you mentioned, we don't really have a sales team of any kind at that point. And we plateaued and now we're like, okay, if we just get some people and maybe if we get some automation to go along with it, at this point, we had a little proprietary software it wasn't doing much. It's doing a little bit. Um, maybe if we do get that money, we can actually put it to good use. We can actually hire some people, developers, accountants, the whole gamut, and we can actually we can make a run at this for real. Um, we've always had this first to market idea in our head. Like we're not that we're scared of not being first to market, but it's been a driving force. There's nobody out there right now doing what we do better than, than how we do it. Um, but we're still a very small fish, but there's nothing but small fish in this pond right now. And we really want to grow into that big fish. So the, the, that, that's a long version there that to speed it up at the end of the day, we, we basically Levi went and started interviewing and pitching and, and all these sorts of things, all these, these VCs across the country, he met up with the firm we ended up with. Um, and he came out really, really impressed with, with those, those gentlemen um, to the point where he reached out to me immediately, which is very rare. Um, again, neither of us, I think, are super impressed with people very quickly um, or believe they have a lot to offer. Because, again, I think we both have kind of maybe two large egos or something like that <laughs> where we, we think we know what we're supposed to do for our business. But these guys, he came across really impressed with them. Um, we set up an interview, I flew down to Charleston, I met with them, um, and actually spent a whole day going through all the procedures that I've written so they could see, like, we could, we could take these and automate them without a ton of work. I mean, there's a lot of development work, but not a lot of get out of Derek's brain onto paper that was already done. And, and they were super like excited about that. So we kind of, we got all the way there. Um, term sheet was basically done. Levi and I talked on a Friday and we kind of like backed out a little, a little bit. Like we kind of got, I, I don't know if you want to call it cold feet or not, but it, it got a little scary because you're giving up control, some control. Um, and you have people in your business and that's a different world than either him or I have lived in. And I can even go back to my plant days on that. Like as I mentioned, I didn't have a partner in my office. I had nobody that I was accountable to in my office. I pretty much did my own thing. Um, so, and et cetera, I believe I gave me all the room in the world that I needed. So we both have come from this at, uh, we, we've had a lot of freedom in our lives up until this point. Um, and there's a variety of other factors, but long story short, we, we, we changed our mind again and said, yes. And, and, expectations are real operating plans are real um board meetings are real all of this stuff but but to to answer you you said one word that i love expectations expectations never scare me um i believe in what we're doing i believe in myself i believe in our management team so that part of it never scared me um hiring people scares me i think that's the most difficult part of any company especially a growing company finding the right people for the right seats is a real major challenge, especially when the positions that we're hiring for are not standard positions, right? Like I, I just told a guy I interviewed yesterday, 
I could call you a controller or I could put that in my job description, but it's not a not the definition of controller. I ask you to do a lot more units than a regular controller would do, but a lot less control than a, than a standard controller would do. Like the, the really hard spot because we're constantly tweaking our message to make sure we continually get the right people. Um, so, so again, that part of it's the only part that scared me. Expectations, um, I think between Levi and myself, like I don't know that there's a, any other two people that can do what we do better, honestly. Like we just work really, really well together um, and trust each other. So what would you say to, I love how you, you provided the dichotomy of the visionary and the implementer. And I think it's easy, you know, to hear about startups and all this opportunity for entrepreneurship and feel like, well, if I'm not that visionary type and I, and I have the self-awareness to know that that's not really my thing, but I still want to do meaningful work. I want to have autonomy. I want to have a, a huge upside. Um, I want to help execute on a vision. What advice would you have for those implementer type personalities, you know, whether they're the type drawn to accounting or other things that have sort of a more practical defined thing? Is there a way that they can do more than just go be an employee, that they can help build something? What, what, what advice would you give to, to, to get them moving in that direction? Uh, I, I think the, the, the basic step of surrounding yourself by with, with those sorts of people, both implementers and visionary types is the first step to that. Um, I don't know, again, like I come from that accounting background, you know, and if, at the end of the day, if, if Levi wasn't somebody that I had met at plant, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it's been now, like, I don't know if I would, if I would have taken the leap there, there's some, there's some timing to my story that just worked out very, very well and easy for me. I wasn't surrounded by those sorts of people. I was in this constant chase of trying to get that golden carrot. If you don't know who, if you know for certain that that's not who you are and you're not looking to be, again, I'll still use my example, a CFO of a private company, and that's just where it ends for you. It's, you're going to make good money for a long time, but you may be bored out of your mind. I would certainly, I would read a ton. There's so much out there on, on all of these sorts of things. Connect with people that have ideas that may sound crazy and, and let them sell you for four years like Levi did and, until you, you're comfortable enough to take that leap or whatever. But I think that's what it is. You have to be around people like that, that have ideas um, the, the implementer types like me, like we're not like super smart. We just figure stuff out no different than anybody else. Right. Like I just know, like, I don't want to like when people think that I've done a lot with procedure, like making this really efficient and all of those sorts of things, which I've heard a lot lately, which is nice. But at the end of the day, all I can think of is I just did this because I didn't want to have to do it next month. Right. Like I, I just, <laughs> I know how to, I know how to delegate. I know how to get it off my plate and I know how to do it in a way where there's no exposure to the company. Um, so, so I think more than anything else about learning on the implementer side, it's more about being around the other side, the visionary side, the, the, the guys that are constantly hustling and selling and, and figuring out little side things to do and all that be around those guys. Like that, that, idea generation is a really, really amazing force. I think that, that theme is so prevalent with so many people that I talk to. And certainly with what we do with Praxis, with our business partners, you have some visionary, you have some entrepreneur who's, you know, being around those kind of people expands your understanding of what's possible in the world and what's possible for you. Just being reminded, Oh my gosh, there's all these different ways to do things. There's new opportunities that I never thought of kind of being around that and expanding that. But then step two, you know, besides sort of catching, catching a little bit of the, wow, there's so much opportunity and possibility in the world. But step two is seeing those visionaries and identifying, okay, they're trying to do this big thing, but they have pain points. They have problems that need to be sure. solved. You know, you've mentioned in this show, if you're an attentive listener, you'd have picked up on two or three or four problems that Derek has alluded to that if you could say, I bet I could solve that. I bet I could help Derek do that. Oh, he doesn't have 
He hasn't turned his hiring and interview process into a complete system. Maybe I'm somebody who's good at that kind of thing. Like if you tune your ears in to hear those kind of pain points and come in to solve those, that can be such a powerful match of person pushing a vision and person who is excited by that vision, who can say, there are all kinds of gaps and pain points you're going to face along the way. Let me be there to solve those for you. I think that's a really powerful combo. Absolutely. And, and the beauty of where we are in today's world is, you know, we're looking at, I'm looking at that every day, a new workflow system, a new time tracker, a new, I, I talked to a guy that they just, in the project management slash timekeeping software, they just got like $400,000 of investment in, in some capital. They're, they're a startup just like, just like us, essentially. They're doing a really, really cool thing and they're doing it for accountants, which two months ago, I didn't even know they existed. Hmm. Um, and again, it, it's just a really, even if nothing works out between us and them, um, I'm pretty sure our paths are going to cross again. And I, I'm, certain we both can help each other even if we you know don't have a contract between one another it's, it's a pretty it's an inspiring thing to, to to just to talk to people that have any ideas to move the ball down the road to keep advancing evolving um and knowing that you don't know everything i mean geez we hired developers and i have no idea what they're doing <laughs> i just know it's amazing like it's this completely different mindset than mine but um, it's a really amazing thing. And I love talking to those guys. I love hearing how their minds work um, and we can do a lot of cool things together. So, so it's, it's very interesting. So Derek, let's, let's go right. Let's do a direct pitch here. So you said already that fi- hiring is hard. It's one of the toughest things, finding the right people. And you are actively doing that right now. I mean, there are probably people listening to this or maybe they know other people. Some of our listeners might know people who fit the description. Who who should come work for you? Who are you trying to find to come work for Ceteris right now? Uh, I, I'm looking for two two groups of people right now. Um, literally, job posting job postings are live. I'm looking for those pretty darn good accountants with common sense and have a desire to be independent and that absolutely want to serve our customers. I'm looking for uh, probably three to five of those by the end of the year. Um, I'm also looking for customer success representatives, a little different skill set. You don't need the accounting side. You you need to have, and, and maybe this is the wrong way to say it, but I say it anyway. It's like the rosy personality. You're the one dealing with the customer. We don't have very many unhappy customers. Um, so most of the communications that you're dealing with are really positive and, and our customers love us. So you feel really great. So we do have some, some questions or, or people that get upset from time to time working with them to, to get their problems solved and have them walk away feeling great about Ceteris. Um, that's the other group of people we're looking for actively, literally today. Um, again, I am not looking for the best, the 4.0 students that I'll take, I'll take anybody. I'll look at anybody, but please know that we're, we're just looking for really talented people that want to want to be part of our mission. They want to be on a ground floor or I like to say we're at the second floor now um, of this startup that's going to empower entrepreneurs and and truly change the world of accounting. And our accounts are going to do that. Our customer success representatives probably get the, the, the most enjoyment because they get all these positive, all this positive feedback all the time. We need lots more of them and we'll continue to as um, this year ends and 2017 begins. You guys are in one of the coolest businesses. I know you're probably surprised to hear that calling accounting a cool business, but here's what I mean. Not, not because I like accounting. In fact, uh, a couple of years back, Levi, I asked him, he, he said that they do a basic accounting quiz for people who are applying to, to work there, you know, to, to judge how much they know. And I was like, Oh, let me take it. And I think he was like, you got like the worst score I've ever seen. But so I obviously don't <laughs> love accounting, but what's cool about what you're doing, you're in one of those very few, this is a rare type of, of business where, all of your customers don't just like you, they absolutely love you because they are entrepreneurs and a big pain point for them is dealing with bookkeeping and accounting and keeping up to date on their numbers and they want to go build their vision. And the fact that you do that for them and you guys do it so well, I mean, I've seen what you do for your clients. It's it's truly awesome. I mean, like you said, at the end of the day, for you, it's basic, it's debits and credits, but you've built this system. You guys do it really well. And so you're dealing with people who 
just a ridiculous amount of the time are delighted with you. They love you guys. They love their interactions with you because you make their life so much easier. And that is such an amazing way to work. Contrast that to something like working for, you know, let's use an extreme example, Comcast or something where literally all day, every day, you're on the phone with people who hate you because they're just mad. You're screwing up. You're a big giant. You're actually, you're making their life worse. You know, there's a lot of businesses like that, where even if you're at a restaurant, the majority of your interactions with customers are interactions because they think the food was undercooked or whatever. And it's so different with what you're doing. I mean, I hear your clients just goo goo over you all the time. I've, I've introduced people to you and they thank me profusely. So that's a really powerful thing to be a part of. And I think that's a great question beyond Ceteris for, for any young people out there, when you're looking to go start a career somewhere, you want to help build something go somewhere where the company is delighting their customers, where customers are thrilled. The value creation is so tangible because that will give you what you need to make it through those hard times, to go through the trenches, to put in the work because you understand it's not just a monetary reward, but you actually can see the way that you are improving people's lives. So that's, that's a huge advantage that you guys have. Absolutely. And we love it. One of my goals still, and I don't think it'll ever fall off my list is best in class customer experience. I truly want at the end of the day, our customers to feel taken care of that, that they just have somebody and it, and it's done, you know, at the end of the day, like that's what a lot of our feedback is that they just know it's done. They trust us. You know, like a lot of our customers, we talk to a lot the first three months or so, And then all of a sudden, like the communication drops off and not because they don't want to talk to us or because they don't like us or something like that. It's just they trust the product, the product best in class, and they know come tax time, their stuff is done and it's perfect and their taxes get filed on time. And it's just this thing that they can they they can count on it. You know, they don't have to check in on us. We, We just like I say with my staff, our customers don't have to babysit us either. We we're we're a best-in-class organization right now only looking to get better and I will never take my eye off that ball because you're exactly right I don't uh, accountants dealing with 55 angry customers a month um, that's a recipe for a lot of turnover and I really don't I I don't want to have to be dealing with that so So Derek is there any place um, are you on Twitter or uh, is there someplace people can learn more about you I, I am not on, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not active on Twitter. So this is like, LinkedIn, this is like an exclusive uh, interview with someone who's not a public person out there. This, this what this means is um, this person has been uh, working on a lot of nitty gritty procedures for, <laughs> for a bunch of years now. Um, I, I am active on LinkedIn. I, I'm, I will be more active on, on all of these outlets as time goes on as, as I break away from, from some of these, you know, from some of the granular level stuff that we're still building and, and trying to automate, like at the end of the day, that's our mission. That's the most important thing for me. Um, I, I trust that Levi will continue to get our message out there and get candidates lined up and excited. Um, and, and I'll talk to everybody that I can. So I will be out there. Um, definitely LinkedIn is probably the best way to, to, to kind of get to know like what's going on with, with Ceteris, with me, um, with the accounting industry in general, there's a ton of, ton of articles and things like that out there about technology and automation and are all accounting jobs going away and all those things. And I have very strong opinions on, on what that's going to look like in the future. Um, and I am a hundred percent positive Ceteris is an amazing step for anyone in their career path, whether you stay with us forever use us as a stepping stone to get to to your next opportunity or spend two years with us and figure out what business is all about and go start your own thing. We can, we can be pretty much anything to anyone as it relates to a good solid accounting person. Um, so again, look for me out there. Like I will definitely keep, keep everyone in the loop with what Ceteris is doing, um, what's going on in the industry and things of that nature. Derek Carter, COO of Ceteris, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Isaac. Have a good one.
Hey, if you're a fan of the show, do me a huge favor. Go to iTunes, give it a rating or review. A rating is only a simple click of a button, or if you're on your phone, a tap of a finger. And it will help people find the show a lot easier. And if you have a little extra time, write a review. What you think about the show? Honest opinion. That stuff goes a long way in giving more exposure to the podcast. What do you get out of all of it? You get the pleasure of knowing that as more people start listening, you get to say, I was there first. 